Welcome to today's podcast. I'm Scott Knuckles with The Untold Story. Thank you for joining me. I hope today's message will drive you to a greater faith, a more lasting hope, and a deeper love for others and yourself. I'm reminded of the quote by Thomas Edison. He said, Many of life's failures are people who did not realize how close they were to success when they gave up. Let's get started with today's podcast. Let's begin with the definition of surrender. It means to cease resisting, submit to authority, and biblically it means to give up one's will, thoughts, ideas, and deeds. Most of you have heard of Billy Graham. He died two years ago at the age of 99. Yes, 99 years of age. He was born in Charlotte, North Carolina in 1918. It might surprise you to know that he was turned down for membership in a local youth group for being too worldly. But at the age of 16, Billy Graham became a Christian. Two years later, he attended Bob Jones University. However, he found it too legalistic in both coursework and roles. In fact, he was almost expelled from the school except that Bob Jones told him, Don't throw your life away. He said, God can use that voice of yours and he can use it mightily. Not long after, Billy Graham got his first chance to preach in Florida due to another preacher declining at the last minute. It was said that his knees were knocking and he borrowed four sermons to fall back on. The famous Billy Graham concluded his first sermon in only eight minutes. So after the sermon, one of the attendees, he comes up to Bill and he says, Boy, you'd better go back to school because you aren't going to make it. And Billy Graham did just that and graduated from Trinity Bible College. In 1938, he became ordained. It was said of Billy Graham, it didn't matter if you were 8 or 95, you could understand his message. It was in the 40s that he became well-known. He started his famous crusades, which ran from 1947 to 2005 when he retired. Can you imagine that he preached to live audiences totaling more than 210 million people in more than 185 countries? He provided spiritual counsel for every president from the 33rd, Harry S. Truman, to the 44th, Barack Obama. Billy Graham was also a uniter. He invited Martin Luther King Jr. to preach jointly at a revival in New York City in 1957. In fact, Graham once bailed King out of jail in the 60s when he was arrested during demonstrations. One special televised broadcast in 1996 alone may have reached a televised audience of as many as 2.5 billion people worldwide. As of 2008, Graham's estimated lifetime audience including radio and television, topped 2.2 billion. Because of his crusades, Graham preached the gospel to more people in person than anyone in the history of Christianity. 
In fact, he was on Gallup's list of most admired men and women a record 61 times. What was this message all about? Many of you know full well, but I'd like to get some of the backstory on it. And yes, his message was one of hope, one of freedom, one of purpose, one of destiny, and a message that could unite peoples from every tribe and language on earth. His was the message of the cross and Christ's undying love toward us. More than 3.2 million people responded to the invitation at Billy Graham's Crusades to accept Jesus Christ as their personal Savior. His message was centered around one thing. And if I could pick a scripture that encapsulated it, it would be John 3.16. You have heard it, but it is so beautiful to hear. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. I prayed for my brother for 29 years. 29 years of my life I spent lifting my brother up in prayer. And guess what? He is now serving the Lord. Yes, serving the Lord. He was once lost with no hope and completely out of control, but he found this Jesus. His life was radically changed. He's not the person that he used to be, not in any measure. And the cool thing is that if we've experienced him, God wants us to make our mark on our families, our communities, our loved ones, and our friends. One thing I really want to share before we dig in is that we should never give up, never give up praying for our family and friends. It's easy to get sick and tired and lose hope because we don't see that change. But did you ever stop to think that perhaps the reason you are where you are is so that you can pray for them, encourage them, and yes, continue to love them, not enable, but to love them unconditionally. As long as they have breath, there's a chance. And you praying versus writing them off is the best opportunity to fight for them. This brother of mine is living proof along with my mother and father who got saved in the last few years of their lives. It is worth the investment. As I reflected on Billy Graham's message and his relentless focus on God's love for us, it brought me back again. It brought me to a point where I could reflect intimately on what I call my first true love. It caused me to think about the amazing journey I've been on. See, I remember it like it was yesterday. I was 18 years old on a Sunday night in church asking myself, why am I here? Why? I, like many of you, was dragged there by a friend of mine. We had been out drinking the night before, just like we had done every weekend before that one. And most of you don't know the Scott Knuckles then. He was empty, insecure, lonely, probably the loneliest he had ever been in his life. I look back at that young man and realize how aimless he was, hopeless, with no self-esteem. This young man thought he would never amount to anything. See, the backstory for me is that I had barely graduated high school and 
had no intention of going to college and no plan for life whatsoever. One of the reasons I didn't expect to amount to anything was when I was in first grade, my brother and I were born only nine months apart, were in the same grade together. Yes, the same grade. And a note came in the mail stating that I would repeat first grade. I was horrified. And my brothers had a ball with that and told me that I was so dumb that I failed first grade. Who fails first grade? The sad truth is that I believe them, and I didn't find out until I was in my 30s that the only reason that I was held back was because they didn't want both my brother and I in the same grade together. It turns out the school couldn't handle two knuckles boys being in the same grade. I have to admit now that it does make sense. We were a rowdy crew. Let me ask you something. Isn't it amazing how certain events and things shape our lives? I let a perception make me think that I was not very smart for many years. Many, many years. And turns out that it it wasn't true. It wasn't true. But on that night, that Sunday night, I never heard a single word of that sermon. I can't remember it. All I can remember is someone offering me a chance to have hope. That there was a plan for me. For Scott Knuckles, there was a specific plan that I didn't have to settle for this sad excuse for a life. In that moment, my heart began to give way, and I could feel it beating out of my chest. I could feel gravity pulling me to step out and realize this new relationship. It's hard to explain, really, but I tangibly felt this pulling this faith rising up in me to reach out and take hold, that this invitation was beckoning me. It was the Holy Spirit knocking at the door of my heart. It was undeniable. I didn't understand it all theologically, but something told me to embrace this. And embrace it, I did. It was like watching my body hurry up to the altar to meet and pray and ask for this new life. And so there, two months before I went into the army, I, Scott Knuckles, became born again. I remember vividly asking the pastor after my life changed, what do I do now? Do I stop drinking? Do I stop chasing girls? He looked at me and he said, Scott, I'm not here to tell you what not to do. Let me tell you what you should do. I want you to begin to read the book of John so that you can see for yourself how much God loves you. And when you have read, pray. Pray about anything. Pray about everything. Pour out your concerns and your needs to Him. He said, everything else will naturally fall into place. 34 years later, and here I am. I get what Billy Graham was sharing because I responded to it. It transformed my life. But what is this story that is so transformational and spread like wildfire throughout the entire world? Let's dig deeper into this story. See, when I reflect on Christ, it is truly an amazing story. When I reflect on Christianity itself, 
It is truly an improbability. Now get this. You have a baby that is born in a barn in a feeding trough in a remote part of the world. No sooner than his birth, his life is in imminent danger. Imagine having a baby and for the first two years of life, you're fearful that your child is going to be murdered by a king who thinks that this baby is going to take over as king. What he did realize is that this man, Jesus Christ, would in fact be king. However, a king of a spiritual world. But King Herod, that, that's his name, was so concerned that he had every boy under two years of age murdered. The situation becomes so bleak that the family had to escape to Egypt, traveling nearly a hundred miles on a donkey with an infant. The family came back only after King Herod died and Jesus' life was no longer in danger. Imagine getting back and greeting family and friends, and you start hearing all the questions. Who's his real father? Who was it that his mother had an affair with? We read from Scripture that he wasn't accepted in his own town. At each turn, he faced rejection. He had crowds that adored him, yes, but he had crowds that were judging his every word, thinking he was from the devil. Even his own siblings thought he was crazy. Historians say that Jesus was probably about five foot five inches tall. He was not handsome like the pictures portray, and there was nothing outwardly special about him. He was skilled in carpentry, so he had a trade. Can you imagine he traveled no more than the size of the state of Vermont? Think about that. He's in a remote part of the world, and his footprint is no larger than the land size of the state of Vermont. Did you know that the Bible skips nine-tenths of his life? But his birth was so important that it split history in two. The birth of Jesus Christ became the dividing point of world history. How could this person impact all of humanity? In Philip Yancey's book, The Jesus I Never Knew, he wrote a story about Richard Nixon getting carried away with excitement in 1969 when Apollo astronauts first landed on the moon. It's the greatest day since creation, crowed the president, until Billy Graham solemnly reminded him of the importance of both Christmas and Easter. By any measure, Graham was correct. This Galilean who in his lifetime spoke to fewer than would fill just one of the many stadium grammas filled, changed the world more than any other person. The historian's test of an individual's greatness is what did he leave to grow? Did he start men thinking along fresh lines with a vigor that persisted after him? What would you say? By any measure, I would say yes. Look at the number of lives that have been touched by his message. Did you know that 2.4 billion people on earth today, more than any other religion by far in this world, call him Savior? And although there was nothing outwardly that would draw men to him, it is obvious that God supernaturally had his hand on him. His life-changing words and amazing miracles were unmatched in human history. Before he started his ministry, he chose to fast and pray. 
It is said that he starved himself for forty days and nights. He was near death when he faced enormous temptation, and yet he maintained and did not sin. We follow his life and realize that everywhere he goes, it is hard. He has no place to lay his head, no place to call home. He is rejected by men. He was envied and hated by religious leaders, spat upon, yes, by the Roman guards. He was tested in every way and yet stood strong. Can you imagine that we celebrate David for defeating Goliath to honor God's name, Abraham for his faithfulness, who waited 25 years for his promise to be the father of all nations? We recognize Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego for choosing to serve only the one God by not bowing down to the idol and who were rescued from the fiery furnace. And what about Daniel, who stood firm in the lion's den because he refused to be afraid to pray to his God? But what about Jesus? What about the one who made the blind eye see? Who lovingly touched the leper when no one else would go around him and made him clean? Who comforted the sisters who were heartbroken because their brother had died and then turned and wept and raised him from the dead? What about the one who stepped in and rescued a woman who was about to be stoned to death? And when she was caught in adultery and said, He who is without sin, cast the first stone. What about him who broke bread with tax collectors, prostitutes, and the outcast of society so they could experience true love? And what about the young couple who ran out of wine at their celebration for their wedding? And what about when he gave the Sermon on the Mount, where he literally leveled the playing field. Rules and religion aren't what's important, he would share. Relationship with God and loving our neighbor sums up the whole law. He wore the crown of thorns with distinction and strength. He bore the 39 stripes on his back to purchase our healing. He was beaten beyond recognition and yet said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they do. After the beating, he dragged his own cross up the hill until his strength was gone. He cried out in pain when they pounded those spikes in his hands and his feet. And while on that cross, you can imagine that he had to lift himself up to breathe and let himself down to exhale, to literally keep from drowning. One doctor believed that crucified people, after much torment, died via a voluntary surrender of life. On that cross, for the first time in his life, he felt completely and utterly alone as he took on the sin of all mankind. That sin was our separation from God our Father, God our Creator. On that cross, he bore our impure thoughts our cutting words, our pride, our lust, our doubts, every failure, even for the most brutal offender, he bore the sin for murderers and worse. He said multiple times, let this cup pass, illustrating how hard this was. You imagine he only lived 33 years and his ministry only lasted for three. Do you wonder if he felt he had done enough 
was it really time to end this journey? He cried out, Father, Father, why have you forsaken me? As he gasped for his last breath, he uttered, It is finished. Can you imagine if all the folks gathered around at that moment, darkness swept over the earth. A mighty earthquake ensued. The veil to the Holy of Holies was torn in two, and those around said, Surely this must be the Son of God. How did he change mankind forever? Why is his message still alive today? He preached that a man must be born again. What does that mean? When you and I admit that we are sinners, that we have made mistakes, and by faith ask God to forgive our sins, then something beautiful happens. He takes up residency in our hearts. He enters our lives not just symbolically or theoretically, but magnificently. It's difficult to even describe what happens when he enters our life. Nearly everyone I have ever encountered that took this step felt an unimaginable peace the moment they asked him to come in to their heart. Surveys have revealed it's the number one characteristic felt by people all over the world that talk about their born-again experience. Doesn't mean life is going to be perfect. Doesn't mean everything is going to be a bed of roses. But somehow this peace, unexplainable, comes over us. And we have this hope. Why was he so remarkable? The reason the world has never been the same is because of Jesus Christ. He has permeated the earth with a love that is hard to understand and with a forgiveness that men and women around the world are desperately in search of. He came to this earth and rescued us from the enemy and delivered a personal invitation that is available for every person that ever lived or ever will live. That God, the King of glory, wants to enter into a personal relationship with us. Yes, the God of the galaxies, who knows every star by name, He knows you intimately, and He wants a relationship. He says, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hears my voice, I will come in unto him. And when we do this, we are promised eternal life a more abundant life here on earth, that we don't have to go it alone anymore, that we can get the help we need, that he has a plan for our life and he will unfold it. He will give us direction when we don't know what to do. He will equip us with additional talents and capabilities to live this life and to bless the people around us. He will help us parent our kids and restore broken relationships. So 34 years removed from the day that my life was changed forever. See, I get what Billy Graham was sharing because I responded to it. It transformed my life. I served four years in the army. And this kid who thought he wasn't smart enough, empty, aimless, and hopeless, graduated from college with honors 
and got an MBA from Boston University and a beautiful family that I didn't deserve and a great job to boot. The Christian walk isn't always easy, but it is life-changing in every way. There's no going back. God took a broken young man and put him back together, broken with scars, and the man is better today than he was before then. Some of you are saying, I remember that day for me, but seasons change. Life has gotten in the way. Distractions have gotten the best of me. When things go wrong, I've taken matters into my own hands instead of going to the Father. I've become the fixer in my life. But you know what? To realize that we can't do this on our own. Some of you listening have been in a drought for so long you feel empty. You just want a change. Let me tell you, I've been there too. Some of us are so steeped in sin that we're afraid to come to the Father. But God is calling us back to Him. He wants to be our first love. You know, the one that is above all and in all and knows all. Some of us are wondering why our anxiety levels are so high. Why are we so depressed? Why we can't get on the same page as our spouse? Why things won't fall into place? It's because we've drifted from the Father. God is saying, put me first as I put you first when I hung on that cross. This God of ours is a jealous God. A healthy, jealous God who wants all of us to occupy every part of you and me. In fact, he doesn't do well when we are lukewarm Christians. The Bible said he hates it. He's done it all. He's paid it all. But that is the single thing he requires. If I've given all for you, will you give all to me? Will you turn your life over to me? Will you turn over all those things that are in the way? He's calling us back into personal relationship. I said it before, but it's worth repeating. Jesus said when he was speaking to the crowd, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hears my voice, I will answer. He said in his word, Oh, how I would love to gather you as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings. Why are you so caught up in these careless worries? Don't you know that I am your front and your rear guard? In Hebrews, he said, I am the author and finisher of your faith, who for the joy that was set before me endured the cross for you, despising the shame, and I am now sitting down at the right hand of the throne of God. He's looking for total surrender today. Some of you listening have never said that prayer. You never invited him to be Lord of your life. And maybe you're like that young man who was in church on that Sunday night, whose heart was being tugged unlike anything he had ever experienced before. He couldn't hold back. Why would you? He had to do it. And some of you have been saved for so long, but you feel separated from the Father and you want back. You want that relationship. Surrender. It's time to surrender. To say yes to Jesus. Jesus Christ, who by the very mention of his name, 
transforms lives. By the very mention of Yeshua, salvation, deliverance, healing, transformation. As Billy Graham pointed countless millions to the cross, that's where we must fix our eyes. He knew it was a lasting gift, and he stayed faithful to it his entire life. God wants us to do the same. God wants us to finish the race, to continue to say yes, to continue to say yes to him each and every day. Billy did it. I'm doing it. We can all do it. There's a song that I believe is such a fitting one to end on, and I want to read the words. It's by a man who felt the call to become a minister, but it took him a long time to surrender. And once he did, he said he couldn't believe all of the gifts that opened up for him when he took that step of surrendering. And he penned the words of this song, All to Jesus I surrender. All to Him I freely give. I will ever love and trust Him in His presence daily live. All to Jesus I surrender. Humbly at His feet I bow. Worldly pleasures all forsaken. Take me, Jesus. Take me now. I surrender all. I surrender all. All to Thee, my blessed Savior. I surrender all. It is a fitting opportunity to utter those words to the Father if you've never done it before. You can do it in your own way, and He will meet you there. And if you're separated from Him, He's as close as the mention of His name. I bless you. I hope you've enjoyed listening to today's podcast. Would you take a moment and provide a rating, subscribe, and consider sharing this message of encouragement with others? You can also visit us on scottknuckles.com to get more information. Until next time, blessings.